Welcome back, and thank you for listening to Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales, a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs, from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. And this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast because we enjoy reading and talking about the world of Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz. In this episode, we're discussing Xenozoic Tales, issue 13, from 1994, which features one story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz, and a second story written by Mark Schultz and illustrated by Steve Stiles. Our title comes from the word Xenozoic, which is part of the title of the comic. Xeno is defined as something that is strange or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological period of time. So Xenozoic basically means strange age. And a xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. And that word describes us perfectly, because we're definitely interested in foreign lands and cultures, just like those found in Xenozoic Tales. Of course, many of you might be familiar with the series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which has occasionally been used for reprint collections, as well as video games, board games, and an animated TV series. The original comic series, created and written and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz, was published by Kitchen Sink Press under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 through 1996. And it's an exciting time to be a fan of the series because Mark Schultz is currently working on a brand new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. Be sure to join the Facebook page, Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories, for the latest official news and information. Flesk Publications has announced there will be a Kickstarter campaign for the new book when it's ready. More information will be released later, and we'll definitely let everyone know when it starts. And speaking of Kickstarter, Mark had a very successful Kickstarter campaign earlier this year for Carbon 3. That's the latest volume in the stunning books collecting artwork he's been doing recently. You can check out our interviews with Mark in earlier episodes to hear him talk about his excellent carbon style. We recently received our Kickstarter rewards, which included the beautiful Carbon 3 book, as well as four gorgeous prints, and a set of postcards featuring Mark's art. It's a wonderful collection of materials. We love it. If you missed out on the Kickstarter, but are interested in picking up Carbon 3, then please go to the Flesk Publications website, where you can order a copy. We'll include a link in our show notes. And if you would like to follow along with the issues we're covering here on our podcast, then consider picking up the collection titled Xenozoic, which contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It's a wonderful oversized book printed on high-quality paper, and you can order directly from Flesk Publications. And while you're there, be sure and check out the other wonderful books they have from a variety of talented creators. And they have other books by Mark Schultz, including a beautiful portfolio collection, as well as the illustrated novella Storms at Sea, which we'll be covering on our podcast in the future. And if you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up Songs from the Xenozoic Age. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by John Chris Christensen that are inspired by the series, and the CD features album art by Mark Schultz. We enjoy sharing listener feedback and being part of the lively conversations with listeners on social media. Please feel free to write in any time and let us know what you think about the series. We'd love to know what you like best about the art and stories and how you first discovered Xenozoic Tales. Later in the episode, we'll share feedback and we'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the show. Xenozoic Xenophiles is part of the Rad Adventures Network. If you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. 
and Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. Mark Schultz, Ron Randall, and Mike Grell are our favorite comic creators. Their stories are filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is excellent. We'll include links to those other podcasts in our show notes, but now let's take a look at our issue. Xenozoic Tales, number 13, 1994. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Editors, Dave Schreiner and Philip Amara. Letters, Denise Prowl. Production, Christy Scholl and Kevin Leeson. Designer, Kevin Leeson. Art Director, Tamara Siebert. Cover Colors, Denise Prowl. It's the 26th century. The world has undergone a great geological cataclysm causing global catastrophes. Few people survived. Those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The cover features an image of Jack Tenrick atop a rock formation. He's in a fistfight with Lord Balclutha, who we'll meet in this issue. Hannah Dundee watches from the sidelines with her pistol aimed at two dinosaurs that are circling the rock formation. It's very dramatic. Dangerous Grounds, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. The story opens at an extravagant banquet to celebrate Hannah Dundee's return to Wasoon. Jack Tenrick looks out of place and very uncomfortable in a formal suit with a lavish sash and medals pinned to his jacket. While waiting for Hannah to arrive for her party, Tenric is having an unpleasant conversation with Lord Drumheller and Corthus Rouge about the elaborate deception used to convince Ambassador Del Rio from the City in the Sea that Jack has been killed. Tenric doesn't think Wilhelmina Scharnhorst will be gullible enough to fall for the story. Jack also pointedly asks about the headless body used as a substitute for him in the deception and wonders where they conveniently found a dead body for such an elaborate plan at just the right time. Hannah finally arrives wearing a stunning gown and being escorted by Lord Balclutha, a tall, muscular man with long, flowing hair. Her eyes meet Tenric's, and both have intense expressions on their faces. The two begin to move toward each other. Hannah grabs Jack's hand and leads him through the crowd to a door in an out-of-the-way corner of the large room. Inside the quiet and seemingly private room, Hannah asks Jack to relace her corset because it's too tight but both of them know that's only a ruse, and moments later, more clothes are on the floor than on their bodies. However, the room is not as private as they hoped. Lord Balclutha momentarily watches the two through a crack in the door before turning and stomping off into the distance. This draws the attention of Lord Drumheller, who begins to formulate a plan. A few days later, Jack accepts an invitation to Lord Balclutha's house where he shows Jack around his trophy room filled with the stuffed remains of numerous large creatures, and he invites Jack to join him on a hunting expedition. The two debate the merits of hunting for necessity versus hunting for sport. From Jack's perspective, hunting for sport is nothing more than poaching, but as Balclutha presses the point, Jack reluctantly agrees to join him for the hunt the next day. As he prepares to leave the next morning, Hannah argues over his decision to join the hunt. Hannah tells Jack that Balclutha has become very powerful in the city by performing unpleasant tasks for many of the tribal leaders, and she warns Jack that he can't be trusted. Hannah also tells Jack that Balclutha has learned about their relationship, and he'll try to use it to his advantage. But Jack can tell there's more to the story than she is sharing. On the way to meet Balclutha, Jack is met by Lord Drumheller, who tells him that Hannah and Balclutha used to be romantically involved before he tried to force himself upon her. Hannah gave him a nasty cut in his gut, ending the relationship. 
Jack looks quizzically at Drumheller as he walks away, wondering why he told him that story. Jack joins the group of hunters who are all using bows and arrows, which are the traditional weapons of choice in Wasoon. As the group trudges through the swamp, Jack wonders why Drumheller sent him off in the company of someone he suspects wants to kill him, when he had just gone through an elaborate plan to save his life. Back in Wasoon, Hannah Dundee asks Drumheller that same question, and he explains that Balclutha has become too powerful, and therefore he has become a liability to the leadership. Drumheller knows that Balclutha intends to kill Tenric in the swamp, but he thinks that Tenric just might be able to rid them of Balclutha, and he's willing to take that gamble. Later, Hannah shares her thoughts with Adua Steptoe, who we met in the previous issue, and we learn that besides being an old blood mechanic, that she also used to be Hannah's teacher. Back in the swamp, Jack sees a Grith hiding in the trees, which draws his attention. Just as a dinosaur rises from the swamp, startling the hunters. Balclutha and several of the other hunters kill the dinosaur with a barrage of arrows. This disgusts Jack, who knows they could have easily avoided the creature. As the other hunters turn their attention to the fallen dinosaur, Jack continues into the swamp, and Balclutha takes the opportunity to follow him and move into position behind Tenric, and raises his bow and arrow. He forces Tenric to drop his own bow and gives him a count of 100 heartbeats before he will begin his pursuit. Jack races ahead, and moments later Balclutha begins to track him through the swamp. He follows Jack's trail along a large tree branch covered in thick foliage, but Jack has doubled back and is hanging under the branch. Tenric rises on the branch behind him, and remembering Drumheller's comment about the wound to his gut, Jack uses it to his advantage, kicking Balclutha in the stomach and knocking him into the swampy water below. Leaping from the branch, Jack holds Balclutha underwater, but then a strange expression comes over his face. Returning to Wasoon, Tenric marches into Drumheller's office and finds that Hannah is there as well. Tenric has figured out Drumheller's plan. Balclutha had become too powerful and had become a liability, but it was more than just that. Tenric has also realized that Drumheller used Balclutha to kill another troublesome political rival, and that was the body used for the deception to trick Ambassador Del Rio. Drumheller then found himself needing to get rid of Balclutha, but he was too popular with the people. Drumheller needed a way to get rid of him that wouldn't look suspicious, so he decided to use Jack Tenric. Drumheller laughs and tells Tenric that now that Balclutha is dead, he can't prove anything. But then Balclutha steps from the shadows. He isn't dead after all, and has decided to ally himself with Tenric. Jack then turns to Drumheller and tells him that he will help take back the city in the sea, but now he has the upper hand, and they will do things his way. Hannah Dundee looks on and smiles. There's a very nice letter in the back of the issue from Mark Schultz talking about it being two years since the previous issue and telling readers all of the many things that happened during that time, including the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs TV series, which aired in 1993, and the spinoff comics being published by Topps. The series really was at the height of its popularity at this time. Of course, there's nothing better than the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. So let's talk about this issue. It really is funny to see Jack dressed up at the beginning of the story. Mark Schultz's excellent art conveys just how uncomfortable and out of place he is. 
and the amazing expressions on the faces of Jack and Hannah when they see each other in the crowd clearly communicate their feelings for each other. I also like that Jack was just as suspicious as we were about the convenient dead body used at the end of the previous issue. It had been so long since we read this issue that I didn't remember that he followed up on that detail. I also liked seeing Adua show back up and learning that she was Hannah's teacher. She was the old blood mechanic who visited Jack in the previous issue. Again, it's been so long since we read this issue originally that we didn't remember that Jack didn't kill Balclutha in the swamp, so it was a surprise to us when he showed up in Drumheller's office. And I wonder if the name of Balclutha was inspired by the large sailing ship built in the 1880s. It transported shipments of cargo around the world, passing by Cape Horn over a dozen times, and later it appeared in the classic 1935 film Mutiny on the Bounty. Next, we'll move on to Mark Schultz's art, which continues to be completely stunning. I was very impressed by the opening scene of The Big Party. Mark fits so many people into the scene, and the perspective is terrific. You can clearly see over 75 distinct people at the event. Some are in silhouette, others are clearly drawn, and there's a great variety of expressive faces and outfits. The light of the fire and the movement of the dancers on the stage is excellent. We're also treated to lovely views of Wasoon. I really like the variety of architecture and appreciate the views of various buildings, statues, and I love the Zeeks flying around the city. The trek through the swamp featured lots of terrific images. Mark Schultz is so skilled at drawing creatures and plants that it's easy to just get absorbed in soaking up the details. And one favorite panel in particular has Balclutha's eyes shining through a shadow. It creates a menacing image, and you can see the determination he has to chase down and kill Jack Tenrick. The layout for the final fight scene is powerful. The action flows across the page and keeps you in suspense as you wait to see the outcome. This is a terrific issue. Come back. Back through the fire and water network. Come back with the supermates. I said, come back. Back to the House of Frankenstein. The Supermates present four blood-curdling films with an all-star cast. Lon Chaney Jr. I know you'll think I'm crazy, but in a half an hour the moon will rise and I'll turn into a wolf. Gary Busey. I'm a little too old to be playing the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf. Christina Ricci. I'd love to have a tame one, but I wouldn't have the heart to cage him. Corey Haynes. I want you to turn this into a silver bullet. Bela Lugosi. You should be careful. A person can get killed that way. Johnny Depp. No, you must believe me. It was a horseman, a dead one. Headless. Peter Cushing. Have you heard of the cult of the undead? Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Do you know what could happen if I meet Dracula in the woods? I'll bite. Oh, no, you got to stand in line. Plus four monstrous battles with your favorite comic book heroes. I sense you're trying to resist this evil, Batman. Open your mind so I can help you. Destroy me, Jean. Booster Gold, Vampire Slayer. This September and October, come back to the Fire and Water Network and the home of horror and heroes. I believe you're in the house of Dracula right now. No, wrong address. Come back to the house of Frankenstein. Back. Back. Yes, master. He thinks I'm Dracula. <laughs> Boiling Point. Written by Mark Schultz. Illustrated by Steve Stiles. 
Wilhelmina Scharnhorst is standing on a platform and giving a speech to a large crowd. She tells them the next step in her plan to harness the land with technology is now ready. Behind her, a restored steam engine locomotive sits ready to make its way along restored tracks to the coal mines in the interior. Welcome to the New World Order, she exclaims. Camphor Macau is an old blood mechanic who has long passed his prime. He's now very bitter and more interested in alcohol than the ideals of the old blood mechanics, and because of that, Scharnhorst has found it easy to manipulate him into operating the steam engine. As the train makes its way across the countryside toward the distant coal mines, Macau constantly barks orders and insults at his assistant Eustace. Eustace is tall and muscular and very quiet, and he seems to just ignore the many insults as he shovels coal into the firebox while keeping a close eye on the water gauge to ensure the engine doesn't overheat. The trip is slow as sandbucks block the tracks at one point, while later a herd of triceratops causes them to speed up to avoid being knocked from the tracks. However, just as the train begins to cross a bridge, Macau suddenly realizes something is very wrong. Eustace simply says, Sorry, boss as he throws him from the train before he leaps from the train himself. The two drop safely into the river below, and Macau realizes that Eustace has intentionally let the engine overheat, and the train explodes above them, destroying it and the bridge. Eustace pulls Macau from the river, where they meet a group that has been waiting. It turns out that Eustace is with the resistance, and he's just delivered an old blood mechanic to the group, whether Macau likes it or not. This is another of those fun and fast-paced little backup stories in the backs of the original issues. We get some insight into the activities of the Resistance, which keeps us informed about what is going on back in the City in the Sea. As in the earlier story, there's possibly another film reference here, with the character of Macau, which is also the title of a classic black-and-white film noir adventure from 1952. We were also pleased to recognize Eustace. He was the diligent mail carrier all the way back in issue 4 in the backup story, Postal Service. In addition, we're both fans of trains, so this story is particularly fun. This was also our chance to see trains and dinosaurs instead of Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Ha ha. We really enjoy the variety of angles and views of the train, and it is exciting to see the herd of Triceratops race alongside the train. I really like the view of the trestle as the train approaches, and the billowing black smoke rising up from the overheating train is a good effect. It was tough, though, for us to see the train destroyed in the end, but we know why it is important to the story. Great fun.
Madame Patra will be lonely if she has to travel to hell by herself. You should give her some company. Because it has already begun. Big in Japan, an anime podcast. Now playing on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. Let's review who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. This is the 26th century, long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the City in the Sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean. The city of Wasoon is what we know as Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old blood mechanic, one of the few people who have learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. And he's also a bit of a shaman. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon who has come to the City in the Sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Wilhelmina Scharnhorst was once the leader of the Moles, a group of people who prefer to live and work underground where they search the ancient ruins under the City in the Sea. She despises the old blood mechanics, and she and Jack have little respect for each other. She has used her influence to be elected as one of the city's governors. The Grith are mysterious humanoid reptiles and are the allies of both Jack and Hannah, who are two of the very few people who have ever seen the Grith. The Grith communicate telepathically with each other and talk to Jack and Hannah using letters from an old Scrabble board game. Next up is listener feedback when we share the emails and messages we've received since last time. Thanks to everyone for the comments. Your support and encouragement is great, and we appreciate everyone who took time to get in touch to share your thoughts. We received a lot of positive comments from listeners about our interview with Mark Schultz in the previous episode, and we sincerely appreciate all of the kind words. John Baker of 3F by Space said, That was a great interview with Mark Schultz. In fact, there was a lot of wonderfully informative stuff in this podcast. I learned so much. Great little gems sprinkled throughout the episode. Alan Comp wrote, I listened to the interview with Mark Schultz, and I am very excited that there are new Xenozoic tales coming. Professor Frenzy of the Professor Frenzy Show and Bat Books for Beginners said, Fantastic interview with Mark Schultz. Loved hearing about his experiences with Ray Harryhausen. Also loved hearing how everything that goes into a panel is there for a reason. Great stuff. Brian Mulvey said the interview was fascinating, enthralling, and entertaining, and has me chomping at the bit for his new book. I cannot imagine how excited you two must have been when you received his pencil layouts for the new book. And darn you both for your ability to keep it secret. Thanks to you for doing what you do to bring this extraordinary storyteller saga to your audience. He's such an amazing talent. Thanks for all that enthusiasm, Brian. Mark Sweeney of the ITG blog and podcast shared the episode online saying, Another informative and entertaining interview with Mr. Xenozoic himself, Mark Schultz. And we want to thank Chris Carnes of Bat Books for Beginners and the Professor Frenzy Show for the signal boosting he did for us as well. He called it a terrific interview, definitely worth a listen, and tagged our show out there on social media. And our friend Paul Hicks of Waiting for Doom and the DCOCD podcast let us know he enjoyed the interview and he wanted to know if the new story picks up where the huge Xenozoic trade ends. That's a great question, Paul. The new story will actually take place around issue 9 of the original series. If the new book is successful, Mark then hopes to do another book that picks up right after issue 14 of the original series and continues from there. That's all very exciting. We want to give Green Lantern HG a big shout out for all of the positive comments he leaves about our podcast over on YouTube. We have great interactions with him there, and he's a tremendous supporter of the show. 
Jeffrey Willis of the blogs Wave Your Geek Flag and The Hollow Earth has a sharp eye for anything related to Xenozoic Tales, and he shared a link to some cool Cadillacs and Dinosaurs-inspired art. Thanks, Jeffrey. We'll include it in the show notes. Scott Connor is a longtime fan of Mark Schultz and is a great resource for us. Knowing that we're also fans of Ron Randall, Scott pointed out that issue number 11 of The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest has interior art by Ron Randall and the cover is by Mark Schultz. That makes for a great team in our eyes. Scott also shared a link to a 2010 Word Balloon Comic Books podcast episode titled Comic Strips and a Tribute to Al Williamson that featured a conversation with Mark Schultz. We'll include a link for that in our show notes. Thanks so much, Scott. And we'll close with a new Apple Podcast review by Andrew, also known as The Mighty Evil Doom. He wrote, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs was a thing I was dimly aware of as a youth, and the name has always stuck with me. Thanks to Darren's and Ruth's great show, I've now become fascinated by the amazing work by Mark Schultz, who is an excellent artist and storyteller. The two produce a great show with good commentary on a work they obviously love. Thank you so much for that review, Andrew, and thanks to everyone for the wonderful comments. On a dinosaur-related note, the nearby historic Carolina Theater in Durham recently showed the original 1925 version of Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World, and we were able to attend. It was a new restoration of the film that featured many scenes that had been lost. Just a few years after the film's original release, a fire destroyed the final complete copy of the two-hour film, and for decades only an abbreviated one-hour version of the film was available. However, another copy of the film was recently discovered, and by combining the prints, film historians have been able to assemble an almost complete version of the film, which now is missing only about 10 minutes of footage. The restoration work is beautiful, and it was a treat to see the vibrant color tints used to give segments a distinct look. And even an early color technique was preserved, showing a scene of a red torch caught in a dinosaur's mouth during a blue nighttime scene. And in closing, we'll mention that Mark Schultz will be attending Baltimore Comic Con from September 28th through the 30th. He'll be based at the Flesk Publications booth, along with John Flesk himself. Mark will be signing copies of the brand new Carbon 3 book, and will also have original art for sale. Exciting. If you're attending, be sure to take the opportunity to stop by and say hello to Mark, and please send a message to us as well. We'll be attending the convention and would love a chance to meet and say hi. Next, we want to extend our thanks to everyone who supported the show on social media since last episode. These are people who commented on or shared posts from us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and we sincerely appreciate all the support. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, just let us know and we'll correct it next time. And please forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just write and let us know and we'll be sure to correct that next episode. Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog, Austin Appleby, Brian Mulvey, Chris Carnes of Bat Books for Beginners and the Professor Frenzy Show, Chris Mounts, Chris Sheehan of the Cosmic Treadmill Podcast and the blog Chris is on Infinite Earths, Clinton Robinson of the Coffee and Comics Blog and Podcast, Comics in the Golden Age with Mike and Chris, Creator Talks with Christopher Calloway, Cullen Stapleton from the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, Derek William Crabb of the Fan Holes Podcast and History of Comics on Film, Dr. G, Man of Dirtology of the Pulp to Pixel Podcast, Ed and Terry Moore of Till Productions, Eric Mannix of the Independent Focus Podcast, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes and Anime Freaks, Jerry Green of The Professor Frenzy Show and Bat Books for Beginners, Giovanni Luizzi, Green Lantern HG, Ink Puddle, Jake and Tom Conquer the World Podcast, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Cell Artist from The Longbox Crusade and On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, Jay Jones of The Silver and Gold Podcast, 
Jeff Messer of the Mike Grell page and the Geek Brain podcast and blog, Jerry McMullen from the Worst Comics Podcast Ever and Essential Showcase, Joe Crawford of the blog for the Non-Discerning Reader, John Baker who does sci-fi TV reviews at 3 If By Space, John Holloway of the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, Justice's First Dawn with Mike Peacock, Karen Williams of the Sweet Between the Pages blog, Kirk Spencer, Laurel Phillips, a.k.a. Mountainflower, Longbox Crusade Podcast with Pat, Jared, Jason, and Delvin. Mark Adams of the Mark's Mess Podcast. Mark Sweeney from the ITG Blog and Podcast and Comics Couplets. Martin Gray of the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl. Matthew Ward. Michael Allen Carlisle of the blog Crap Box of Son of Cthulhu. Mike Garvey of the Waiting for Doom and DCOCD Podcast. Mike Ratliff of the World of Geekdom. Nicholas Prom of Comic Reflections. Nick Starr. Noel Thingval of the Noel Network Blogs and Podcasts, Pablo Ventura, Parlopod Network, Pat Sampson of the Longbox Crusade, Paul Hicks of Waiting for Doom and the DCOCD Podcast, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Randy Andrews of Soundtrack Alley and Gen 13 Files, Reggie Hancock of the Cosmic Treadmill Podcast and Weird Science DC, Rolled Spine Podcast, Scott X, Sean Ross of Pulp to Pixel and the Nerdy Dads Podcast, Siskoid of Siskoid's Blog of Geekery, First Strike, FW Team Up, and more. Vic Sage of The Retroist and host of the Radio Memories podcast. Warren Montgomery of Will Lil Comics. And a big thanks to Mark Schultz, Xenozoic Tales, and Other Stories Facebook page for sharing our episode. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. If you want to contact us directly or have something you would like to have read on the show, then send us an email to xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles, and you can also visit xenozoicxenophiles.com for links to our social media pages. You can also listen to our show through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and all of our episodes are always available at xenozoicxenophiles.com. You can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. On the Rad Adventures YouTube channel, you'll find all of the episodes of all of our podcasts, including Xenozoic Xenophiles, as well as Trekker Talk about 23rd Century Bounty Hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended.
Roar. <laughs> I haven't been practicing. <laughs>